This episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is brought to you by timeslipcharts.com, mobile-friendly logbook and analysis. You can quickly enter, view, and analyze your runs from your phone or PC. Analyze your season, recognize your trends, and catch your weaknesses quickly. Timeslipcharts.com is a cloud-based logbook that you can use anytime to track your logs, get advanced stats, and use those analytics to improve your performance. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen in top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, this is episode number 25. It is the first week of Rocktober. Uh, thank you for all the feedback so far. You know you can always message the show on Facebook or Twitter or hit the email up at fastbracketsoutlook.com. I will not, however, be printing any t-shirts that say the Fast Brackets podcast. I think about it every day, but only get it once per week. You know you get an episode every week, just like a marriage, uh, but no need to get on that chip any longer. Um, hey, this this week we have a couple of great guests. Um, we have Scott Wasco. He is a Division Three top sportsman standout. And we have Gary Don Free from dragchamp.com. Um, you guys are going to love these guys. I'm excited to get to them. Uh, but get to, it's time to it, to get to doing whatever it is that you do while you listen to the show. Change the oil, clean the shop, load into the rig to get to the track. I don't care what that is. Go do it now, though, uh, because we're going to get our helmet on. We're going to get strapped in because here we go. Okay, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box and talk about the fast fours. Um Last week at the Jegs Sports Nationals in Columbus, they had a fast four on top of the top sportsman and top dragster competition. And I did not break that down for you last week because I wanted to do that now. So let's talk top dragster first of all. Um, your four fastest qualifiers of that event were Danny Nelson, Kathy Fisher, J.B. Strasweg and Brian Keller. So those four were the top four qualifiers. What they do is they get to line up and do a pro tree heads up uh, competition. So ultimately, then uh, Danny Nelson and J.B. Strasweg make it to the final. Danny Nelson gets that win. He runs a 621 to J.B. 635. Um you know, both of those guys have been on the show, um, our standout competitors, and Danny Nelson gets the win, which is simply what he's been doing for the last month or so. Um, but it, that's a that's a great thing for Top Dragster to have the pro tree, let it rip. Let's see who gets there first outside of running under the index. 
on the top sportsman side, your four quickest qualifiers were Lester Johnson, Tyler Levin, Jeff Brooks, and Boyd Byer. So Lester in the final runs a 6-12 and beats a slowing Jeff Brooks. But, I mean, that final in and of itself with Lester's 55 and Jeff's Henry J made for a super cool race. I mean, that is really the coolest thing um, about this top sportsman class is that, you know, they, we have very, very fast cars, um, but they're not all of them. I mean, it's not all who spent the most time in the wind tunnel. You know, the 55 and the Hendry J are not the most uh, efficient when it comes to drag coefficient. So um, it makes for just a cool race. Those are cool cars and um, really, uh, really, really a great, great race there. And NHRA does this from time to time. Um, Midwest Pro Mod Series did it earlier this year where they do a fast four and it is heads up um, for the top four qualifiers. And it's an incentive to go fast. Obviously, there's a bracket race at some, you know, once we get to eliminations. But as, um, you know, as we talk about this, the incentive to go fast is huge. And so I'm a big fan of this format. Um, And those of you guys that know me, know a little bit about my racing um, history, know that I am a huge non-electronic index fan. So this this is a similar type uh, set up where it's a pro tree. Um, you know, there's no throttle stops. Uh, so, you know, you can use the grid, which is fine if you're going to try to, uh, not run under the index. Uh, but you don't want to kill it and weird out all the fans that are there to see, um, heads up racing. Uh, so I'm good with it essentially if it becomes an index race, if that's where it gets to, and it feels like it's getting there extremely quick. Um, uh, so I like that. I, I like that in general. Um, the pro trees are nice. Um, drag racers like it, and the fans love it. Um, one thing I will say is if we start pushing on this 610 index in both classes, um, I think the NHRA ought to consider um, doing a 1,000-foot event for the Fast Four. That way you can let these guys uncork it, um, and it would be a good way for the NHRA to test out and see exactly where these cars are at um, without recertifying everything. I think this is a great tent trend. I hope there's more of it um, at every event. Please keep this up and keep this rolling. Okay, let's put it in the beams presented by thisisbracketracing.com. On the line with us today is the two-time IHRA Divisional Top Sportsman Champion. He is a multi-time IHRA and NHRA National and Divisional Event winner. He recently won the JEG Sports Nationals in Columbus in dramatic fashion, Welcome to the show, Scott Wasco. Scott, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing good, Rex. Doing real good. Appreciate it. Yeah, hey, um, I kind of breezed through it. I kind of ho-hummed it last week. I said, uh, you know, Scott leaves the um, Cleveland area. He makes a quick little trip to Columbus, you know, wins the sports nationals, loads up, goes home. That's not exactly how it went, was it? No, no, uh, a little more drama than I ever like to have. Um, I like when things go how you said it, nice and simple and, and to the chase. Um, 
you know, it wasn't really that kind of weekend for us. You know, the, the whole weekend was pretty much a train wreck. Um, it actually started beforehand. I had, I had pulled the transmission out of my car. I had my buddy take a look at it for me. I thought I had a small issue going on. So I figured between races, I'll pull it out and have uh, my buddy Brian Tiffy of Tiffy Motorsports take a look at it for me. Um, which, in the end, actually turned out to be a good thing because, unrelated, while he had the transmission apart, he discovered the gear stuff was broke. Oh. Um, so that's fine. We couldn't get that, that transmission repaired in time. <clears throat> so, okay, I'll put in my backup transmission. And uh, they're pretty much the same except they have different gear ratios. Um, so that kind of led into uh, the first step of, you know, how and why I didn't qualify. Went out for the uh, first qualifier. And on the first pass, the car shook pretty hard. Uh, the setup on the car with this different gear ratio on the transmission uh, just wasn't happy. So, um it didn't have quite the wheel speed you needed, right? No, no, no. The car was just too lazy. I normally run a 180 gear ratio, and I had the 164 in there, you know, my backup. And I can get away with using that gear ratio when the air is a little better. Unfortunately, you know, this time of year was kind of unusual in Columbus that it was kind of hot down there. Uh, the air wasn't real good. The barometer wasn't real good. So it just made the car act kind of lazy and didn't really work the car enough or get the car any wheel speed which uh, pretty much put it into shape. Yeah, that's, uh, so, that's uh, rough. So that you lose uh, round one, the quali- first yeah. qualifier like that, right? Yeah, yeah. So the first qualifier, which is on Friday, is, you know, we only get the one qualifier on Friday. It's okay, no big deal. We'll come back, we look at the graph, you know, take a look, you know, make the adjustments I think that are okay, and we'll head out Saturday for the second qualifier. So we do all that. Car leaves fine. I got rid of the shake. You know, it's on a pretty solid pass, and then the car doesn't shift. Mm. And um, I always I have an air shifter and air shoots on the car, so I've always told myself if the car doesn't shift, um, I may have a shoot problem because there might be an air problem going on. Um, I didn't appreciate the irony of that at the time. Um, <laughs> right. So at that point, I just looked and say, okay, we'll come back for the third qualifier and uh, go from there. So we, we come back between rounds. You know, me and my buddy, Gary Wojnowski, take a look at the car. Um, we couldn't really find a problem with the air shifter in time, but it's no big deal. You know, I programmed the race pack to give me a shift light. I'll just shift it manually for this one pass, and we'll get in the show. I'll fix it after qualifying stuff. Right. So we roll up there for the third qualifier. I, you know, go through everything. Carly's fine again. I go out there, and I don't know, about 100, 150 feet out, the thing starts sounding funny. Um so at that point, I just shifted, thinking like, well, maybe I forgot to shift it or something like that. Shifted into high gear. It still is not sounding very good. At that point, I say, you know what? Something's not right. I'm just throwing in the towel. And uh, if I don't qualify, so be it. Um, so we come back from that pass, and it had a broken rock drum. That's, that's what I was hearing as the unusual noise. Ah, okay. Um, so at that point, we're out of qualifying. You know, I, I was joking with the one guy from NHRA. I'm like, hey, why don't we do a fourth qualifier? It's a really nice day out here. You know, I kind of need it. Uh, <laughs> But, um, you know, that kind of, at that point, left us, you know, on the outside looking in. Um, so so that's did, kind of what happened in qualifying. Yeah. So that's a Just, rough weekend uh, up to that point. And, um, yeah. and at some point they let you know that uh, you actually did make the show as the 32-second yeah. spot. Yeah, there was only 34. You know, take 32, there's only 34. Um, I was number 34. Um, you know, unfortunately for a couple of my competitors, um, they had gone long during the weekend and their cars were damaged enough to where they couldn't, you know, make it back to the, uh, make it in the show. 
Um, so it's just their misfortune actually turned into my fortune, I guess. Um, and the other kind of kicker to that, too, is, is the one gentleman who went long, uh, Bill Yates, actually has my parents' old Promod Camaro. <laughs> okay. Um, so it wasn't a good weekend for ex-Wasco or Colonel Wasco cars <laughs> and parachutes. Um, but, uh, again, because of their misfortune, I was able to, uh, you know, sneak in the show and get a chance to race on Sunday. Yeah, so you, so now you're um, – you think you've got everything ironed out, though, at this point on Sunday morning, right? Yeah, yeah, I was um, – you know, I, the car's new to me this year, but it's been a, it's been damn good to me all year. I have a pretty good handle on what it should run. So I wasn't too worried about, you know, dialing. Um, and, you know, I, I wasn't even sure who I was going to run first round because I wasn't sure how they were going to pair us. But I was pretty comfortable dialing the car. You know, I'd been hitting the tree good during time trials, so I knew I could get the box set right. And all I really needed to do was kind of get by that first round. Like, let me have one run where something doesn't go wrong. Right, <laughs> and exactly. unfortunately, you know, it worked out that way. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. So you end up then. I mean, you get that first run under your belt, so now you've got Absolutely. a good one. You kind of build on that, and then you get to the final. And for yeah. you know a week that started so rough, now you're in the final, and you're thinking, all right, let's go. Yeah, everything uh, everything went good through eliminations. Uh, you know, first round I did have a tough draw. I had Bob Wright. He's got that cobalt. And, um, you know, the, the car is a really good car. Every race we go to, I swear the car just runs 668. <laughs> so, uh, you know, fortunately, he had a little bit of, I think, a tire shake or tire spin issue. So uh, gave me the opportunity to basically get a free time trial, just to make sure I knew where the car was at. Um, you know, every other round I raced was tough. A lot of tough competitors. We get to the finals. And, um, you know, this is me and Sandy. And, uh, you know, everybody knows who Sandy Wilkins is. Yep. Tough competitors, probably t- one of the toughest draws out there. Um, I was a little little salty myself. I started out hitting the tree good in eliminations the first couple rounds. A couple rounds after that, I was uh, kind of subpar. Actually, I had my, probably my two my two worst lights of the year. And uh, obviously, that's not good timing to have it. So, I, you know, I told myself in the final, like, hey, you know, Sandy's not going to give me any room here. I, I need to get back and do my job. And, uh, you know, and not let the car down. Because I know the car's going to be there. I, I have to not screw it up. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, race Sandy, you know, stage him up. I let go of the button. Everything feels pretty good. You know, I get down there, see myself coming around him, kind of back into him, um, try to give it back to him. But fortunately, I stayed ahead of him by 4,000. And, uh, you know, I see my wind light come on. And then I get the realization, like, hey, I have no parachutes. Oh. Or I'm not slowing down. Um, yeah, so at that point, you know, Columbus is a, is a really short shutdown and the left lane is exceptionally bumpy in the shutdown area. Mm-hmm. So I don't even remember it. It all happened so fast. It's hard to really recollect everything. Um, I remember just trying to get the car stopped. You know, I didn't want to get too aggressive with the brakes and put it in the wall or maybe take out Sandy. Um, I, I think I'm trying to hit the parachute button the whole time. Uh, obviously the shoots never come out and, you know, I get to the end. And, um, you know, I realized, hey, I'm not going to get it stopped. Let's not do anything stupid. Let's just get her in the sand and, uh, and hopefully minimize the damage. So put her in the sand. Um, I, the, the sand pit at Columbus is very short, too. The track butts up against a, a main road. Mm-hmm. I see a big catch in it there. I kind of get a, like, a, oh, oh, shit moment. Um, <laughs> so I put it in the sand. I just cut the wheel of the heart as wide as I could to try to just kind of spin the car out in, in the sand. And, and that's what happened. 
Yes, you you have all the emotions there in about uh, ten seconds, maybe between seeing your wind light go on and then realize, oh no, I don't I don't have any shoots, and I got to try to get this thing stopped at two hundred plus miles an hour. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That will do it to you, man. Like uh, that'll do it to you. I'm glad yeah. you got it stopped, and you did have some damage to the car, right? You um, front some front end damage. Is that correct? Yeah, it busted up the front end pretty good. Um, you know, something I think that can be repaired. It's not going to, you know, it's going to put me out for the rest of the year. I only had a couple races left, uh, so I'm not going to rush or, you know, half-ass it for the rest of the year. But um, all things considered, I guess it could have been worse. You don't have any 200-mile-an-hour tape laying around there, Scott, to get that <laughs> thing fixed? You know, yeah, we looked at it and talked about it. <clears throat> you know, what put me a little bit behind was as soon as I got home Sunday night, I had to leave for the airport and go out of town for work last week. So I pretty much lost a week of trying to work on the car. Yeah. And, um, you know, the car is seven years old, but to me, it's, it's like a new car. It's by far the nicest car I've ever had. The car's been so good to me. Um, I, I just want to fix it right. You know, yeah. I, I want to make sure it's right. I, I don't want to end up having a front end that weighs 20 pounds more than it did. So, uh, you know, while I hate to miss the last couple of races here, it's, I think in the long run, it's, I think it's what we just, you know, best thing we decided to do. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that, uh, about your car and the combo that you have. Cause I think, you know, you ran, uh, Lumina for a long time, but, uh, was yeah. it last year you, you, uh, made the switch? Yeah. Yeah. I had Lumina. I bought that car in 2000 and ran it through, uh, through that at the end of last year. And I mean, that car was great to me. Um, you know, it, it paid for itself many times over. It was a really good car. Um, but as we keep going faster and faster, um, the car was built in 1993. And, and, you know, 1993 technology is not current day technology. That's right. Um, so I've seen this car pop up for sale. You know, I bought it from Tony Fagnilli, who ran Top Sportsman with us. So I've I, I seen the, you know, I've seen Tony race the car. I've seen how good the car was. I was kind of like the GXP body. Um, I really love the Haas cars. And uh, once I seen him put it up for sale and I kind of real, got a realization like, you know what, maybe I can uh, pull this off. Um, it's kind of what we ended up doing. And it, it's a 08 uh, GXP, is that right? It's a, it's a two, it was built in 2011 by Haas. Um, originally an IHRA Pro Stock mountain motor car, uh, which is good because with the, with the uh, IHRA built car, you can put the big tire underneath it. Yeah. Some of the cars that were purpose and HRA built, I don't think you can always fit the large tire. And, you know, when I was getting a new car, I definitely wanted to make sure I could fit the bigger tire underneath, underneath the car. Yep. And uh, then from, you talked a little bit about transmission, but um, from an engine combo, what uh, what size cubic inches do you run? And nitrous, what's your combo? Yeah, yeah. The combo, is, it's a 5-inch it's a 4-space, 710 cubic inch motor. Um, it's basically a D-stroke 762. Okay. And um, real good combination. Uh, yeah, I've had that. I've had that motor for four or five years. I actually bought it from uh, Greg Moser, you know, who owns Moser Engineering. He sure. ran in his top tractor car for years. Um, I typically run it with two small stages of nitrous, and you know, on average, it goes in the six fifties, about two fifteen, two sixteen. Um, really good combination. Very reliable and, and damn fast. Put uh, that with the power glide converter. You know, Brian Tiffy there from Tiffy Motorsports does all of our glides. Um, and it's nice that he does it. I, I put the glide in the car, and I don't ever have to worry about it. It's in the car, and it's a non-issue or non-concern to me. 
Uh, in between, you have a Marco Abruzzi converter in there. I have a couple different ones, different stalls. And, um, again, very reliable pieces, very fast. And, uh, I mean, the whole combination between the, the car, the transmission, the converter, and stuff, the car is just deadly consistent. Um, it, it's ridiculous. It's almost like a four-link Draxter on alcohol, <laughs> which when you're racing and you're driving, that just makes it so much easier for me to know, hey, the car's going to be there. All I have to do is keep my head out of you-know-where, and I should do okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, you've done a great job of that. I mean, you've uh... – and, you know, that uh, last weekend was a great example of that. Um, and you, you mentioned um, that, uh, you know, your parents had a Pro Mod car. So maybe talk us through a little bit how you got started in the sport. I mean, it's a little, you know, your parents were doing it or doing it at a pretty high level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously I grew up in it with my, with my parents. Um, you know, they raced when I was younger. And then, uh, you know, my dad opened up his own business, and they got out of racing for a while. And then when I was about 16, they picked up a bracket car, um, started playing around with that. And uh, their thing was is they, they, they weren't really bracket racers. You know, they went out there and just had engines and combinations. They just like to go fast. So it's around the late 80s, right around the early 90s, when ProMod kind of started coming out and, and was the hot thing back then. Um, they, they started putting together ProMod cars. So pretty much from like the you know 1990 through the mid 2000s, they ran pro modified off and on. Um, we had a few different, uh, I think we had three different McAmos cars, and some pretty good engine combinations. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, they're, they're the reason I'm going to be uh, be broke my whole life and never retire. <laughs> I'm on that same path. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I always joke with them. I'm like, why couldn't you guys like play golf or bocce ball or something? You know. <laughs> but. Hey, you got to have fun and enjoy yourself. That's exactly right. Um, well, you've you've watched this class for a long, long time now, um, and been running it since, like I said, since early two thousands. What what do you think about the progression that uh, the the class has had here, just even in the last couple of years, about how quick it's gone? I mean, it. Uh, do you see the the hockey stick approach to new ETs um, like? the rest of us do and what, what are your thoughts on that you know i, I guess it really depends on, on your region of the country and, you know we're division three here and you know top sportsman or top director when it comes to fast and ets um there's no other division in the country that can really compare to us i mean it's it, it's crazy here you better have a 660 car and top sportsman here or you're not going to qualify and, and not every race is like that but there's probably three or four year that can get fast and, and you got to make sure you have, you have enough there to get in. Um, even in Indy this year, it was hot, nasty, and humid in Indy in July at the divisional. And I think the bump was 674. Um, you know, if, if that race is held in better conditions, that's probably, you know, a mid 660 bump, which, you know, up until this point has really been unheard of. Uh, totally agree. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it is uh, getting to be pro stock levels every weekend, and um, I, don't, I don't think we would have thought about that ten years ago. No, it's it, you know it's kind of funny. It, it, to me, it's kind of had peaks and valleys. I can think back to the old World Nationals in Norwalk back in you know two thousand three to two thousand six. Um, you know, two thousand six they had a forty eight car field at the World Nationals at Norwalk. You know, back when it was still IHRA, and the bump was six ninety three for forty eight cars. Um, which, when you think back 12, 13 years ago, I mean, that, that's that's pretty insane. That's that's pretty ridiculous. Um, 
And it seemed for a while the class kind of leveled off. It wasn't getting real fast. You weren't, you had some guys who went fast, but you didn't have the, the fast bump spot. And, you know, now it seems like the last few years we're getting back to some of these faster fields and faster bumps, which, uh, you know, I'm all for. You know, I think almost everybody who races this class likes to go fast, wants to go fast. And we want to see the fast bump. So it's nice to see him back, and I hope, hope it stays there. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think, um, yeah, I think the faster the better, in my opinion. But, uh, mm-hmm. well, uh, so you mentioned you got a little bit of body work um, to do, and yeah. what else is next for you and, and your your program? Um, you know, first step is obviously we'll get this car repaired. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing yet. I'm, I'm likely going to take it back to Haas' shop. Um, it looks like strictly body work. Uh, but I probably want them to take a peek over the front end, make sure nothing got bent, nothing got tweaked. Um, you know, you know, kind of sticks in the back of my head. My brother-in-law, Ron Biondo, who also runs Top Sportsman, he was involved in an accident at Columbus uh, in the spring of 18. Uh, his competitor didn't have his shoes come out, and um, he lost control of the car and took out Ron in the mean in, in the, while that happened. Um, got Ron's car fixed, took it back out, and he struggled with handling problems. And, you know, we found some issues after the fact that, hey, you know what? The rack got bent. We didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. Some other things got tweaked, didn't realize it. Um, so I'll probably start just by taking it back out the Haas, you know, let them go over everything, make sure everything's okay. I don't want to run into the same gremlins that Ron had. Um, you know, we'll freshen the motor up because it's due to get freshened anyway. And uh, we'll come back out next year right where we left off. Scott, um, that is great stuff, uh, but I know you don't do it alone. Um, who all helps you when you're out there uh, making these passes and trying to get wind lights? Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate you asking. Um, you know, I'm really the probably the smallest detail of, of the whole picture. Um, you know, it really starts with my family. Uh, my wife, Heidi, you know, my, my son, uh, Jacob, my daughter, Jordan. Um, they're the ones that are out there helping me. They're my crew for the most part. Um, they help with the track. They help with getting the car ready. They help with getting the RV and the trailer ready before the races. Um you know, we all see each other at the track, and we all work at the track, but most racers know how much work you have to put in beforehand to get to the race and make sure everything is good. Um, you know, so they all pitch in and do that. And, and without them, there's no way I could even do this. Um, and, and just as important as my sister, Lindsay, my brother-in-law, Ron Biondo. Um, you know, obviously we race together. You know, Ron and I help each other mechanically. We help each other uh, talking racing strategy. Uh, we help each other, making each other's cars better. You know, we, we want to make these cars and make ourselves as driver as good as possible. You know, our, our, our intent is to go out there and win. And, and we know we're not going to win every race, but I don't ever go to a race and not feel that I'm going to win. And, uh, you know, he's a big part of helping me with that. Uh, my sister, Lindsay, just as important. Um, you know, when, when my family can't come to the races with, with me, which, which happens sometimes because they're so busy with activities, uh, it's my sister, Lindsay, who's at the track helping me out in the staging lanes, helping me on the track, put me in the burnout box, lining me up. Um, you know, definitely need their help. Couldn't do it without their help. Uh, another family is the Wojnowski family. You know, they both run top sportsmen, Gary Sr. and Gary Jr., you know, wife, Sandy. Um, you know, we travel together. We park together. You know, we're good friends outside the track. We all live 10 miles from each other. And also the Schneider family, you know, they run uh, about 890, 990 stuff. But I'm, when I'm at the track, they can help push me around, pull me around the lanes, help me on the track when I don't have any other crew there with me. Um, so, again, with all those people's support, 
you know, couldn't do it. And, you know, obviously people are the most important thing of, the, of this whole thing. Uh, Company-wise, I got a lot of great companies to help me out and make this car, car so good. Um, Bruce Bonnie from Hoosier Tire. Uh, I've been running Hoosier Tires since, I think, 2002 or 2003. And uh, they, they're fantastic. Uh, I wouldn't even, you know, there's a lot of debate sometimes, you know, Hoosier Mickey, Hoosier Mickey. And uh, I love my Hoosiers. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, you know, Brian Tiffy, Tiffy Motorsports, does my transmission work. Does nitrous work for me when needed. Uh, certainly, certainly couldn't do it without him. Jason Burns from JBD Race Cars. Um, Eric Davis, Penske Shocks. Marco Abruzzi and his Abruzzi Converter. Kenny Juszczyk, Motorsports Unlimited. Get a lot of engine parts from him. And last but certainly not least, you know, Mark Payne from House of Payne Starters. Um, this starter turned that engine over so fast, I think it would go nines on its own. Just going down the track, just hitting the starter button. Well, uh, again, kind of a long-winded there, but uh, you know these people are all important to the program, important to me, and certainly want to make sure that that, that they know that and get the recognition they deserve. No, nicely done, that, and that's exactly right. It takes so many people, and uh, sounds like your crew is incredibly plugged in and and part of what's made you so successful. So um, glad you glad you shared that with us. Um, yeah, just. Actually, I forgot to add one item to the train wreck weekend from when it started. Um, you know, I had gone down Friday, and I knew my my wife or any of my kids couldn't make it. My, my daughter's at college. Uh, you know, my son had football games going on all weekend, so my wife stayed home with him. So what we were going to do is, um, you know, I went down for Friday's race, Friday's qualifier. Uh, Ryan and Lindsay couldn't make it down to Saturday due to the work schedules, but said, okay, I'll get through Friday. And uh, once Ryan and Lindsay get there Saturday, I'll, I'll have my help there. Well, lo and behold, they go to pull out of the driveway Friday night to come to the race. The motorhome dies and won't restart. <laughs> um, so he actually ended up never making it to the race. So I had to call my wife up and say, hey, I know you don't really want to make a three-hour drive to Columbus, but uh, why don't you and Jacob hop in your little car and head down here because I, I need me some help. Um, you know, the Wojnowskis and Schneiders are helping me on Friday, but they have their own cars. They have their own races to do. Yep. And, uh, you know, my wife ended up having to have my wife and my son didn't make it down to help me out for the rest of the weekend. So, so that was nice of them to do that. And it was always nice to have them there. Yeah. Very good stuff. And Ron was probably uh, somewhat relieved if he's already had issued there uh, last year at Columbus. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think um, I, I joked with him. I said, you sure your motor home broke or did you go cut a wire so the thing wouldn't run? You know, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think he's gone down the track since then. And you know, as racers, we know um, we're, we're all in incidents. But the first time you go down the track afterwards, especially at the track that it happened at, you're going to have a few butterflies. So uh, um, I don't think he was heartbroken in the end. No, that makes sense. Well, hey, thank you so much for sharing with that with us. That is uh, that is really great stuff, and appreciate you filling me in when I just simply did not do it justice. But uh, guys, girls, that was Scott Wasco breaking it down for us. Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com, like it always is. I mean, if you've been listening to the show, um, if you do not know who DragRaceLawyer.com by now, please reach out. Um, Ed Harney was one of the first people to get on board. He recognized that the finances that we have wrapped up in race cars, rigs, and likely the businesses that go along with that needs legal protection. Um, Ed is 
the best at that. He is uh, better than um, any TV uh, attorney out there. And um, uh, please, please get with Ed at DragRaceLawyer.com if you need him. Um, Hey, let's get to it now. Let's start with the NHRA national event in St. Louis. Um, Well, I'm always going to call it gateway, whatever um, they call it now. Uh, They ran the top sportsman at the national event there. They did not let the top dragster guys come and uh, girls come and play. So let's talk about top sportsman right now. Your number one qualifier was Lester Johnson. Um, no surprise there. He goes 6'11 with a 7 at 230 miles an hour. There were 32 cars there. Um, so the bump, you know, uh, was just those cars. But there were 30 cars in the sixes um, at that event. And the first 15 cars would have made the pro stock bump. So they were flying. Um there was not a fast four at this event, um, but if there was, it would have been Lester Johnson, Darian Bosch, Brian LaFlam, and Glenn Butcher. So yeah, you know those guys. It's familiar names, and they, as usual, put the pedal to the metal. Um, your winner um, was Mark McDonald from God's Country, um, Evansville, Indiana, over Alan Firestone. Mark just absolutely killed it. He is 002 on the tree, takes 002, which my math says is about nine inches at the stripe at 200 miles an hour. Uh, Mark takes his fourth national event, Wally Home. And the way I understand it, uh, took that sucker into the huddle house. So congrats to Mark, Deidre, and everyone else in the huddle house who got to check out that Wally Parks trophy. Now, as we go to uh, Division Two, we'll go to Galat Motorsport Parks, where they ran the Division Two event called the Mad Mule 1000. They ran everything to a thousand foot there, and I like it. Um, the track is a little short uh, for what uh, Rich Schaefer and the NHRA uh, Competition Committee deems um, a full quarter mile field. So they ran everything to the thousand foot there, which is so it's going to make our data a little bit different, but your number one qualifier, we talked about him earlier in his Henry J. Jeff Brooks goes 532 at 203 miles an hour um, to a number one qualifier. So he's the top spot there. There were 23 cars, and your winner was Ronnie Proctor over David Tatum in the final. Uh, David goes 003 red giving Ronnie, the former world champ, the W. So nicely done to all those folks out there. On the top dragster side, um, Steve Furr was your number one qualifier. He goes 5'10 with a 5 at 211 miles an hour. There were 24 cars there. Uh, The bump, or technically the bump, was 621 with 8. So we'll have to get with timeslipcharts.com to help me with what that would have been in the quarter. Uh, but the winner was Jeff Strickland over Bruce Mullins in the final. Jeff is 17-1 above to Bruce's red light. I'm guessing Jeff is just showing off at that point. Um, but that means Jeff will likely win the D2 top dragster. 
uh, championship and put him squarely in competition to win the national championship. So nicely done to Jeff Strickland and Ronnie Proctor in Galat. Um, now let's let's talk about Division Four in the NHRA and the points leaders. So at this point, they've run all six events in division. They're complete. They have no other events that they're going to run. Um, so if you're going to get some more points, you got to do it outside division. Um, the top sportsman competitors, there have been 38 guys and girls that have strapped in trying to win the Division Four championship. And your number one points getter as it stands right now is Lance Rutland. He has 367 points. He's claimed seven events, so he controls his own destiny right now. Um, second place is Glenn Wright at 314 points. Um, so, you know, back a little bit um, and a little bit of space there, but there is chance to qualify if Lance doesn't go get it. Um, number three position is Cole Prejean. He is has 273 points this year. And he's only had four events, so he's had a really nice year for only um, claiming four events. Um, and then number four is Cameron Wright. He's had 248 points. And then your fifth uh, points getter is Craig Lyles at 218. So that's uh, that's top sportsman in Division Four. On the top dragster side, there have been 54 competitors that have lined up trying to get that title and your number one points getter today is Aaron Stanfield he has 346 points he has claimed seven events um, now I guess we need to talk with him um, I know he's hopped into the pro stock um, 4a now so whether or not he um, claims any more be we'll have to find that out um, because lost Ross Larice is sitting number two at 336 points, um, he has claimed eight events, though. So, um, you know, he's there is uh, not much more there. And then Rusty Baxter, your U.S. Nationals top dragster champ, is third, sitting at 303 points. He is uh, maxed out. And then Marion Mario Bosch Jr. has 302 points. Um, so he's only claimed five events. So, you know, if he wants to move up, he could potentially. Uh, climb over Rusty and Ross um, if he chases outside division a little bit. And then Bob Button has 290 points um, as sitting number five. So the big question is, will Aaron Stanfield uh, try to claim any more events, uh, go outside of division, or will he focus on pro stock? Um, next week, we will give you coverage from the NHRA Division One event at Virginia Motorsports Park. We will give you coverage from the Division Three event at Gateway Ur Worldwide Technology Raceway at St. Louis. Um, the PDRA goes to Darlington, so we'll give you that update as well. And we will continue to get you caught up on all the point standings um, in NHRA Division Five. Whoa, let's get out of the groove here for a minute. Um, our next guest is a longtime super gas racer. He is the owner and operator 
of dragchamp.com, which is your online source for sportsman racing news. Um, he's from Katy, Texas. Welcome to the show, Gary Don Free. Gary Don, how are you today? Doing great. How are you doing, Rex? Excellent, man. Excellent, man. Um, hey, you've been racing for a long time. You want to tell our listeners uh, about how you got started in the sport? Yeah, love to. Uh, you know, my my dad uh, raced when I was a kid, so I've been at the racetrack since uh, as long as I can remember, I guess. So uh, I grew up in Louisiana, and every weekend we'd hit tracks in, across Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, and uh, just uh, going race to race. And that was kind of where my family and friends were, were at the racetrack. So it's what I look forward to. And then so I got older and got in my teens and got my driver's license, started bracket racing, and uh, eventually in the 90s built a stocker and did some division four stock eliminator racing and uh, sold that car in the mid 90s so i could finish college it's kind of hard to focus on both uh, and so i wanted to get through college and then after that took over uh, my dad's super gas car in 99 and really started hitting the national circuit then and we traveled a lot in the early 2000s and um, we're fortunate enough to win a national event and runner up one and um and then in the last probably 15 years, we really tapered off a little bit, and I started growing a family, and my career was taken off. So uh, we tapered back and just ran mainly Division Four stuff and Supergas, uh, probably four to six races a year um, and until my dad retired. And I guess in 17, he sold everything. And uh, so I bought a dragster last year, and this year we've been doing some super comp and bracket racing and, and uh, doing a lot more local stuff here in, in, uh, in Texas. You've officially made the transition over to the dark side, then. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, I owned a dragster, and I bought one in 2001, I believe, and ran Supergas and Supercomp for a little bit. Uh, eventually sold the dragster and uh, stuck with the Supergas car. I, I do prefer Supergas. I do love the wheels up, but uh, the dragsters are so easy to work on. Uh, it's just uh, They're just a better tool for, for bracket racing and and the super comp stuff so you can kind of do both no agreed um and yeah no argument from me there um but you have taken on another challenge here recently when you started dragchamp.com um tell us a little bit about drag champ and how that came to be well it's it's an online news source for drag racing and particularly sportsman drag racing so we focus only on the NHRA, Lucas Oil classes, um, and we focus on bracket racing, both local and big dollar bracket racing, IHRA uh, bracket racing. So the goal is to showcase the weekend warriors and have a have a place that people can go and find out about racers, about upcoming races, uh, who won races, things of that nature. So we do a lot of uh, articles on individual racers all across the country and, and obviously cover all the big races uh, as they happen. So uh, that's kind of what Drag Champ is and, and why it was created. But uh, basically, I couldn't find that information. And so I built a site that I wanted to see and visit on a day-to-day -day basis. I uh, struggled for years just trying to keep up with who was winning races. And uh, obviously, NHRA, you've got uh, Drag Race Central that does a great job with the NHRA stuff. And, and NHRA site is pretty decent. But... Uh, the National Dragster quit writing articles on the sportsman winners. Uh, we picked that up, and now we write articles on all of the uh, sportsman winners from the national events. 
in in the Lucas Oil Classic. So we don't do the alcohol cars, but top sportsman, top tracks obviously stock, super stock, super gas, super comp, super street. Um, we try to cover those and give them some glory for their wins. And, and then we do the same thing for the big dollar bracket races. There's uh, people winning half a million dollars on a weekend, and, and you can't find any results most of the time for those. So uh, we wanted to make sure that people were got the attention for their success. Yeah, so, so Drag Champ, you're covering all the sportsman classes, but nothing on the pro side, nothing nothing on the uh, outlaw small tire side. It is it is all uh, sportsman drag racing, correct? Correct. And, you know, it was funny. I, when I thought about doing this years ago and, and creating a blog or a website, I didn't know what I would write about. And now just focused on the sportsman racer and the weekend warrior guys, I, I can't cover all the races. I can't cover all the things we want to cover because there's so much to it. So, uh, and, and really and truly, you know, the big sites, Drag Illustrated, Drag Zion, Competition Plus, they cover all the outlaw stuff. They cover uh, the professional classes. Uh, all that stuff's been done. There's a bunch of places people can go for that. But to find out who won an IHRA bracket finals last weekend, that's a little bit harder to, to find. And I want to be able to, to make sure those guys – and gals get credit for their wins, and then people have a place they can go and see that. And then we do a lot of racer spotlights. So we showcase and, uh, a lot of the local racers that you may not have heard of and, and people from maybe the West Coast or the East Coast or the Midwest, and we try to make sure that we're giving uh, a platform for sports and racers to get a little bit of attention. Well, it's become an in- incredibly large platform i know for instance your weekly top 10 is uh highly highly viewed and uh sometimes highly sought after but i mean do you want to talk a little bit about how many people engage with your site um on a weekly basis and and did you ever think it would be this large so quick uh, i hope it would uh but <laughs> I, i'm not certain that i thought i would get there when you know a year ago when i started this I was lucky to get five people to come to the site or, or 10 in a day. And you just think if I can get to a hundred and then you get a hundred a day and you want to get to, you know, two or 300 and they just keep uh, wanting more and more. I think that's in our human nature, but uh, on a, on a month to month basis, our social media reach, we, we end up reaching about 150,000 to 200,000 uh, racers uh, on social media, mostly on Facebook, although we're growing our Instagram account and it's starting to grow qu- quickly as well. Uh, from a website basis, we'll get, you know, anywhere from around 25,000 uh, web views a month on that. So uh, everything's kind of trending and, and moving quickly and growing quickly. It definitely has uh, taken off this year um, a lot more quickly than I had imagined. Yeah, it's it's incredibly impressive. Um, and if, if our listeners are not aware of Drag Champ, what's – Point our listeners in a couple different places where they can check you out. Yeah, you can go to Facebook. We're at, at Drag Champ Magazine on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, people can go to our website, obviously, dragchamp.com, and you can email me at garydon at dragchamp.com as well. So, But uh, always look. You mentioned the top ten list earlier, and that is our most popular uh, article each week, and we try to make sure we showcase a wide variety of uh, racers on that. Uh, it's hard to tell somebody that won a national. They may not have made the list, but 
Um, somebody that won, you know, doubled up at a bracket race over a weekend did. So it's it's really hard to make sure we get a good list. But we also want to make sure, like I said, that we're not just covering one area. We want to showcase everyone. And when we see people making multiple finals in a weekend, whether that's at a NHRA national, divisional, or at a local bracket race, that we try and give them a platform. And every now and again, we make people mad. I get a few nasty grams from time to time and some ugly comments and Every now and again, we miss someone that had a big weekend, but, uh, you know, it is, it's, there's a lot of people. We get hundreds of comments and nominations each week on our Facebook post that we put out Monday night where we ask for help because, like I said earlier, you just can't keep track of all the races and events and how races are doing. So we basically, uh, I call it Drag Champ Nation, and our group of followers and our audience basically help us put that list together each week. It's pretty amazing. Yep, well, we're very familiar with uh, the nation here at Fast Brackets. Uh, we uh, we are the Fast Bracket Nation, so we get that. And that top ten list has got to be incredibly subjective. Um, so there's there's always that that goes into it. But what's not subjective is is your coverage um, of our classes um, is really really good. And and our listeners probably know that I share um, a lot of your articles that you put on Facebook. Um, based on our top sportsmen or top dragster guys so they will probably recognize the name if they're following us on facebook it's it's really really good and you also mentioned that um you know as the nation it grows it um talk a little bit about if our racers want to do something for their sponsors and they want to they want to boost their um, media profile a little bit you know what can they do to help their cause um you know as a as someone in the media like yourself, uh, what can they do and how can they interact with you doing that? Well, I, I got a few tips uh, for racers, and, and some of it's a little selfish but in nature, but uh, a lot of it is just as a media site trying to, to share stuff and find information. You know, we rely on the racers to actually put out photos and videos from the races they're attending. So, you know, if you're there, you, you show a photo of your car. The top sports from top dragster cars are some of the coolest cars in drag racing right now. And, and the, the classes are very competitive, and, and the packages that, that uh, they're laying down are just unbelievable uh, to see, like, Danny Nelson go back-to-back national event wins and take, be in double O, take double O at 220-plus. That's impressive. So we want to showcase those things, and I think at times – it's hard for me to find that information from the, some of the top sportsman competitors or top dragster competitors because they're not as um, they're not sharing as much as maybe a local bracket racer would or, or some of the bracket racing guys or, or some of the different classes. So definitely sh- take photos when you're at the track, showcase your car, and and get it out there for people to see, and then that makes it a lot easier for us to to share that on our site and get it in front of more people. Um, you know, a couple of tips on actually taking photos. Uh, if you're if you're going to share on Facebook, turn your phone sideways. So Facebook likes the landscape style photos, uh, and Instagram. If you're on Instagram, they like the portrait style, which is uh, how most people take photos. But if you're sharing on Facebook, it's it's much better. Obviously, on the website, if we use your photos for maybe a race win that you had, and we write an article, we can use some of your photos. But it's it's hard to they don't format as well when they're in portrait mode as they do landscape. Um, another tip about photos is make sure you're not facing the sun. So anytime I'm at the track taking photos, I make sure the sun's at my back. Uh, that reduces the glare and just makes for a better photo that's uh, going to show up much better when you put it online. 
the other thing that we would uh, ask people to do is tag your location. So many times people will, I'll see that people want to race, but they don't say where they won the race. And you can just tag the track that you're at or mention the track that you're at. Sure. Sometimes they don't mention the class. Obviously, top tracks or top sports, well, we know what class they're running, but let, let us know, was it a points race? Was it some uh, bracket race? Was it the, you know, a, a Midwest uh, Pro Mod Series? They want a top dragster race, something like that. So, And then the last thing would be make them public. So some of your racing photos should be made public so other people can see them. Like I said, there's times where people haven't made the top ten list just because I couldn't verify that they won the race that somebody said they won. I couldn't find a photo. I couldn't find any information because everything on that person's account is private. So there was no way for them to make the list and get some attention that, uh, you know, we may have wanted to give them. So those are, those are the things that I kind of deal with on a week to week basis that would, that, that definitely helped me. And some racers are doing a much better job at it. They're getting their sponsors some notoriety and others are really kind of holding things close to their vest. And it makes it a lot harder to get their, their name out there, their car out there, that type of stuff. No, those are, those are great tips. Uh, thank you so much for sharing those uh, with with our drivers and and marketing folks. I mean, we're all chasing dollars because these things do not run on hopes and dreams. So, um, appreciate you breaking that down for us. And yeah, if they if they follow Drag Champ and then tag them, um, you know, tag you guys in your post, uh, that helps get the word out and helps you guys in that information. So, uh, yeah, thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, we take a lot of photos. Uh, with our national event articles, uh, preview articles, we do a preview article where we, we make uh, pre-race picks to win each class. So we try to predict who's going to win each class, and we try to write a little bit about uh, the individuals that we select. We, we, we write a blurb about each class, about maybe the points chase is coming in, is, is tightening up and some racers chasing points. We'll try and throw that in there. They won the week before or the – Last year's race, we throw photos in there. So a lot of times when I'm putting that article together, I'm looking online for someone I want to talk about. And I'm looking for a photo. I'm looking for, for something to grab to throw into that article. And so the best photos uh, and the easiest ones to find are the, are the people that actually get the attention on those, those articles that we write about the national events, or even the divisionals for that matter. Yeah, we can, we can really help our cause by uh... – by taking the bull by the horn, so to speak, and getting our information out to, to places like yourself at Drag Champ that, that want to help us and want to spread the word. Um, oh, yeah, that's, that's definitely our goal. We're trying to build a huge media platform that really is just focused on those sportsman racers so that when someone wins a national, someone wins a big-dollar bracket race or something of that nature, that we've got a huge platform that, that hundreds of thousands of people can see that because uh, it takes so much. Uh, you've raced, uh, we've, we've spoken, and, you know, you've, you've done this. You know the commitment that we all put in to race at a national level, especially, uh, or a divisional level, which is what Top Tracks and Top Sports were doing. The time, the resources, the commitment, the energy you put into it, you want to be rewarded and let people see that you won and let people know across the country that you did something. And then when you do something crazy like Danny Nelson or, or Larry Deemers that, that win multiple races back to back to back, you know, you want to be able to, to, to do a little something and, and give them some notoriety for that because we all know how hard that is to do. Yeah, there's no question. Well, Gary Don, thanks so much for coming on. That, that was really great stuff. Uh, I hope all our listeners will go out there and if you haven't already, follow the Drag Champ uh, 
you know, Facebook page, um, check them out on the website and, um, you know, contribute where you can. Um, Gary Don, thanks again for coming on. Uh, nicely done. Uh, Gary Don free if you need him at dragchamp.com. Thank you, Rex. I appreciate you, uh, what you're doing as well. Your podcast is awesome and uh, glad to be part of it. As we hit the mile per hour cone today, uh, we're going to check in with timeslipcharts.com and they have brought the data. As you guys know, the mile per hour cone is our tech segment. So we wanted to give you an example of what timeslipcharts.com can do for you. Um, let's suppose you are planning for next year and want to know what it's going to take to qualify in your division. Um, what we're going to talk about today is the NHRA divisional events. We will dig into the other data in the following weeks. Um, but um, So we're going to talk about bump spots, average bump spots, median bump spots for each division here. Um, now, from that data, we have to understand that in some cases the bump didn't really apply. Um, you know, there, in fact, there are a couple races um, that uh, didn't quite get it. In fact, um, only 29% of the races had at least one DNQ. Uh, that means that 71% of every top dragster and top sportsman divisional that was ran, there was no one listed as DNQ. Um, so for our purposes today, um, when that happened, the slowest car was considered the bump. Um, and also note that, um, that there's a few um, one-off events, uh, specifically speaking uh, about the Galat 1000 that we talked about earlier in the program. And then one of the divisions at Cecil where they ran, ran that to the eighth mile. So both of those have been thrown out for our data this way. But we wanted to give you an idea of what it would take um, and what type of information you can get from timeslipcharts.com. Um, so just as a reminder, let's take it back. Let's go to back to grade school math for a minute. Um, both average and median numbers are measures of central tendency and summarize the data. The average is the independent positions of the data points but the median is a calculation using a specific position on the data points. Um, so for instance, the average is heavily affected by outliers. One slow car, for example, could totally affect the whole average, while the median is not affected by one slow car. So in general terms, the median is probably more accurate um, for what we do. Um, you know, and that, that's the median is going to be essentially uh, the exact middle of the ordered list. So um, it will be if there's 32 cars, it's actually going to be the average between the 16th and 17th um, qualified cars. Um, so for our purposes, the median is a little bit uh, better, but uh, we'll give you the average and the median times for each division here. Um, first of all, starting in top sportsman, the average qualifying ET for division three, and that was the fastest um, division, and uh, a lot of drivers will talk about it. It's hotly debated. Understand the average top sportsman qualifying time for division three is 682. Next up is division four. That is a 698.5. 
Division one is six ninety nine five. Um, Division two is a seven oh nine. Division seven is a seven fifteen. Um, Division five is a seven fifteen with a five. So seven and five are incredibly close, separated by a thousand there. And then Division six is a little bit slower at seven thirty three two. So. Um, from the average qualifying positions for top sportsmen, it starts with Division Three at a 682, finishes with uh, top sportsmen in Division Six, which is a 733, um, and all those in between. So if you are trying to figure out what is the average uh, qualifying number, there you have it, uh, brought to you by timeslipschart.com. On the top dragster side, Division Four is actually quickest for top dragster. Um, for the average, it's six thirty-seven seven, followed by Division Three, six forty-five eight. Division Five is next at a six thirty-three one. Division Two is a six seventy with the three. Division Seven then is a six seventy-one nine. So quickly followed there. Uh, division One is a six eighty, and then Division Six is a six ninety-two. So for top dragster, uh, Division Four is quickest at 637. Division Six is um, quote unquote the slowest at 692. Um, so now we we've given you the average. That's what a lot of people will talk about. The median is really the number because um, that's going to throw out the outliers. And for top sportsmen, it is no secret Division Three is the fastest, and that is a 670. Uh, next up is Division One. That is a 693. Division 4 is a 697. Division 2 is a 704. Division 5 is a 705 with a 6. And Division uh, 7 is division 705 with a 9. And then Division 6 is a 727 with a 4. So if you're thinking about it, these numbers that are the median are essentially the average um, uh, the, the average of the 16-17 qualifier and uh you know, really gives you a good example of where you need to be to make sure you get in the show. On the top dragster side, um, it is Division Four leading us off uh, with a 622.6. Man, that's absolute flying. Division Three is a 624.7. Uh, Division Five is a 646. Division Seven, 666. Uh, Division Two, 672. Division One, 674. And Division Six is a 685 with a six. I hope that those numbers uh, help someone out there make a decision, uh, clarify you know uh, the bragging rights on which division was fastest overall this year. Um, as we go along this month, we will bring you more stats along those lines, all brought to you um, by timeslipcharts.com. And if you have a stat that you would like us to uncover and talk about later this month, uh, just let us know. Hit us up uh, on Twitter, Facebook page, or at the email. Okay, let's bring it back in and take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 25. Look up. Check it out. There it is, that big, beautiful wind light. Um, producer Rob is – there it is. It's playing Gloria. Um you know, I just realized um, if you are new, if you just recently started listening in and you don't know why we play Gloria every week when we get that wind light, you need to go back. You need to check out the archive and listen to episode number nine and get plugged in. That will clean you right up. 
and you will be on board and you will get it. Um, thank you to our fantastic guests this week, Scott Wasco and Gary Don Free, for coming on. They were fantastic. Next week, you will get the results, uh, the points updates, and always the best drivers in tech talk. Um, and go ahead and tell your like-minded Fast Bracket friends about the show. Uh, you can subscribe on SoundCloud and on that little purple iTunes podcast app. Um, continue to get the word out and welcome them to Fast Brackets Nation. Um, you know, uh, you can hit us up Twitter on the Facebook page, but I'm telling you, keep it off the limiter. I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. This episode of the Fast Brackets podcast was brought to you by timeslipcharts.com, mobile-friendly logbook and analysis. You can quickly enter, view, and analyze your runs from your phone or PC. Analyze your season, recognize trends, and catch your weaknesses quickly. Timeslipcharts.com is a cloud-based logbook that you can use anytime to track your logs, get advanced stats, and use those analytics to improve your performance. Another award-winning show. Was there awards for this? Well, in my mind. Well, I just, I'm There's just, no trophies. I'm just hoping someone swipes right on us. <laughs> <laughs>